I don't know about you, but I have uh, over the years discovered, uh, sometimes the hard way, that it's easy to allow yourself to get uh, to the point where you take things for granted. And this is true of things that, uh, with which we become very familiar. In just two months from this coming Tuesday, my wife and I will celebrate 40 years of marriage. And uh, we've had a good life. We've had a, a, an excellent marriage. God has blessed us. Uh, we've learned a lot about each other. We've kind of blended those two different personalities. And, and with God's help, uh, we have a good life together. And sometimes I realize that because it is so comfortable in our relationship, that, that I take that for granted. I don't do those things that I used to do to make sure that that relationship stays strong. And so uh, every once in a while, there's those reminders that uh, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, uh, that, that I'm drifting in that direction. But it's not just in the situations with our marriage that we take things for granted. Our jobs may fall into that category. We go every day, we work hard, we come home and, uh, and just know and assume that that paycheck's going to come. We may take our home for granted, that uh, that shelter will be there. Or maybe our vehicle. Uh, when you jump in the car in the morning and you turn the key, there's an assumption that it's gonna start. Uh, I drive a, a 2004 a vehicle with 280,000 miles, so that assumption is not always true. But that assumption is there. Another thing that we could tend to take for granted would be our availability of power. <laughs> it would be my guess that none of you came into the building this morning wondering if the lights would be on. Right? None of you would have assumed, and trustees sit still, it's okay. None of you would assume that the power would go out. We take it for granted. We have control over that power. That's one of those things that's just supposed to happen. But when it doesn't, not only do we notice right away, but we can get pretty worked up about it. So what is our power source? Well, obviously, for our building, it's the electric company. We pay them a fee. They send to us electricity. But when that electricity gets to our building, we've got a choice of what we do with it, as was just demonstrated. We can turn that power on and take advantage of all that it offers, the lights and the, the cooling and the heating and everything else that goes along with it, or we can choose an act of our will to simply turn it off. But we take for granted that that power is there for our use. But how does this happen in the spiritual realm? Where does that power come from that we need on a daily basis to be able to consistently serve our Lord as he calls us to. God's given us some responsibilities. If, you, if you've done any study in the scripture or you, you sat through a few sermons, you know that, that there are things within the scripture that God says, thus saith the Lord. 
This is an, an expectation. This is something as a, a Christ follower that out of your appreciation and love for God that you should be involved in, you should do. And then there are other things that God will just choose to put in our path as, as we go along our day. I call them those ministry moments, those things that, that we don't really anticipate, but God opens doors that we have opportunity to encourage somebody or, or to share the truth of the gospel with somebody. But none of those happen or are possible without the power of God. None of, <clears throat> none of them can be accomplished in a manner that glorifies God if we depend on our own strength. But God would never, ever ask us to do something for which he does not fully equip us to be successful. So we need to ask the question, or answer the question, what is our power source? If you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to look at a couple different passages of Acts this morning. Uh, they're just a page apart. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and then we're going to look at the first part of chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, <coughs> excuse me, and to the ends of the earth. This is in the context Jesus is just getting ready to ascend back to the Father. He's just getting prepared to, to leave earth for the final time in his incarnate uh, being and go back to the Father. And he gives them this promise. And then we flip over a page to chapter 2, verse 1. We have the fulfillment of the promise just 10 days later. It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This morning, I want us to be challenged. I want us to be encouraged with this truth. The Holy Spirit is that source of power. And he demonstrated that when he came to the early church. Will you pray with me? Father God, I just ask today for clarity. Uh, Lord, I don't, don't know what's going on with the throat, but it's not working right today. So I just pray for you to, to fix that so that we can communicate that truth that you have for us today. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just open the hearts and the minds of, of each one of us that the words that are spoken would uh, be translated, be interpreted uh, through the power of your spirit and delivered in a way that uh, transforms us. Father, I ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The first truth that I want to look at this morning is simply this. The power of the Holy Spirit equips us to answer God's directive. The power of the Holy Spirit equips us to answer God's directive. Again, verse uh, 8 of chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Dr. Luke starts this verse with the word but, and that's very, very significant. He says, but you will receive power. It's important since it, uh, that word signifies a change in direction, a change in thought in the conversation. 
As I said, Jesus was about to return uh, to heaven following his death and resurrection. After 40 days of appearing to many people, he called his disciples together on the mountainside one last time as he was about to leave. If you read the, the beginning of chapter 8, you see, and leading up to this question, you see that they've asked a lot of questions about what was going to happen when he leaves. And, and they ask things like, what's going to happen to Israel? Would they ever be restored? There's just a lot of things on their minds as they were standing together. And Jesus tells them, this is not your concern, but... All of these things are, are part of your life, but there is something that you need to be concerned about. He has a task for them that is far more important than the political concerns of Israel. He has just said to them, it is your responsibility to see that the message of salvation is carried to every square inch of this planet. By the way, he gives us the same directive in Matthew. It's your responsibility that the word of God, that the truth of salvation by faith goes to every single being. That's a big deal. And so we don't have time, he says, to worry about some of the other trivial things. He was calling them to something very, very critical. They will soon put everything else out of their mind. I remember my very first night of youth ministry, officially. I'd gone to, to, to Bible college and prepared, and I had learned in Bible college how to plan games that would just wow these kids to death. And we had snacks. And I learned in college how to prepare a lesson with a lot of variety and a lot of, of, of kind of uh, tricks that, that keep the attention of the kids and, and makes the Word of God just kind of be real in their lives. And, and I had all of that knowledge and all of that understanding of the, the process of how to do what I was about to do. And it was finally that time. The date was June 8, 1983. And I walk into the youth room and, and the pastor and some of the other people said, well, we've been averaging about 20, 25 students at this church, and, and so that's what you should anticipate. I walk in the youth room and there are five kids. Five students. So I looked at Cindy and I said, we can do this. It's not a problem. I went to college. I know what I'm doing. And so we started out with those five kids and we did my game. And we had our snacks. And then we get to the time when I ask if there's anything that they would like to have me pray about with them. Three of the kids of those five were from the same family. And they started laying out, first time I met these kids. And they started laying out some of the most horrendous situations that they face in their home. All three of them were in tears. They were just telling me about the, the, the abuse and the things that were going on within the context of their home. And over the years, I learned that they were being absolutely honest with me. And I thought, you know what? I didn't have that class in Bible college. 
You didn't quite prepare me, Bible College, for what I'm about to face. No wonder the game didn't fly. No wonder they didn't care about the snacks. What they were dealing with was far deeper, and even the great Bible study I prepared wasn't going to do it. And I realized in that moment that this journey that we call ministry, the journey all of us are on, some at different levels, but this journey that we call ministry was going to look a little different than I had anticipated. This is kind of the moment for which Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples. Don't worry about the temporal. Don't get concerned about the here and now. Jesus is saying to them, I have something far more important for you to do. But before he handed out the assignment cards, he wanted them to be equipped. So Jesus is saying, I'm giving you an enormous responsibility, but first I will make sure you have everything you need to accomplish it. Now, let me just pause here for a second. Teachers, those of you that, that teach in our children's ministry, in our adult ministry, uh, children's church, our youth workers, listen. Absolutely, we prepare with everything we have. The Word of God is too important to, to fluff by. Absolutely, we give every ounce of our energy to make sure that we have been diligent in, in preparing for the opportunity to present the truth to people who have come to hear the truth. I'm not taking anything away from that. But what I'm saying is we dare not walk into those situations without flipping on the switch, inviting the power of God's Holy Spirit. Because it doesn't matter how well we prepare. It doesn't matter how strong the truth is that we have. If God's power is not behind that, then we're just a, a noise. The good news is, he's promised the power. See, it's just like electricity. This, this promise of God's power is not something that we have to wait on. If we, when, when we flip this light off, the electricity that was in the line leading into our building and to that switch didn't go back to the company to wait until we needed it again. It, it waited right there. It was right there at, at Dustin's fingertip. All he had to do is, is press the button. That power was waiting to be unleashed. That's what God is saying, Jesus is saying to his disciples. The power has been unleashed. It's here. All we have to do is get out of the way and flip that switch and allow the power of God's Spirit to, to enable us to do those things that he's called us to do. This isn't a message just for teachers, though. Because all of us, as Christ followers, are called into ministry. At some level, we're called into service for the kingdom of God. And if we say no thank you, we're just flipping off the switch. And we're not allowing God to show what he can do through his power. He's promising that they will receive power like they've never, ever seen before. The source of this power is the overwhelming of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The picture here is one being completely immersed or dunked in something. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, another way that or the, the literal translation is when the Holy Spirit saturates you. Don't you love that? When the Holy Spirit saturates you. Here's how I envision it, okay? 
I envision that, that, that the Holy Spirit is this huge tank of paint. And God takes me and he just dunks me completely under. So when I come out, I no longer look like Mike. Now, I might have the shape, but I now just look like paint. When, when God's Spirit overwhelms me, when he saturates me, and I then have an opportunity to present the truth to, to my neighbor or to a congregation, I have the opportunity to get out of the way and no longer be seen, but just let God's Spirit speak. That's what he's promised to each one of us. Now, I'm kind of mixing my illustrations here with the, the, the electricity and the paint, but you know when, when we're being dipped in the paint, there's a possibility that we, we maybe hold an arm out or, or we, we maybe not give to God every single thing that we have. We say, no, I don't think that I want to be involved, God. So just dip me a little bit. I want enough of the Holy Spirit to be comfortable. I want, I want that peace part, and I want the comfort part, and I want maybe a little bit of, uh, of that, that conviction part, and, and maybe a little bit of that, that uh, illumination of the word part. But when it comes to empowering to, to do things for you, God, I'm not sure I want all that. God says it's there. It's there. All you have to do is say yes. This is what Jesus is promising to these men, and this is what he's promising to you and me this morning. We're going to look at the outpouring of God's Spirit on them in just a moment and what that looked like. What I want us to grasp now is, is that same power supply, that same covering is available to us. When we submit to Christ and receive his gift of salvation, he pours out his Holy Spirit on us so that we can do exactly what he asks us to do. Sometimes we hold things back and don't allow them to cover all of us, and that limits our use of that power. The truth of this passage is that God has made that unbelievable power available and waiting. Why? Because he wants us to be successful. It's not a selfish motivation on his part. Do you know the blessing of seeing God work in the life of someone that you're ministering to? Do you know the joy of, of seeing someone say yes to, to what God is leading in their life when you've been able to challenge them from the truth of the scripture? God does that for us. He says, I'll empower you. You just step out and use that power. He tells his disciples that their mission is to spread the message to every square inch of this world. That mandate has not changed. And the exciting thing is neither has the power source changed. That same Holy Spirit is available to us. So what did this look like? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus promises this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2 verse 1, it takes place. The power of the Holy Spirit blows into our life to regenerate the believer. Look at verse 1 with me. We're just going to read that and then stop for a second. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I don't want you to miss the significance of what he's telling us here. <clears throat> this is just 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, having given the disciples this promise. So from Acts 1-8 till 2-1 uh, is just a 10-day time period. 
So the, the, the disciples had had this amount of time to kind of contemplate what it was that Jesus was saying, and now, already, ten days later, it's happening. And that's significant timing because Pentecost, this day of Pentecost, is the time when we uh, associate that with the outpouring of the Spirit. But Pentecost was actually an Old Testament festival. And the word Pentecost simply means 50th. And it was the 50th day after Passover. And you remember Jesus was celebrating Passover uh, the night of his crucifixion in the upper room. That's why his disciples were gathered. So from, from Passover and, and the crucifixion to Pentecost is 50 days. And, and why did Jesus, or why did God choose to, to send his Holy Spirit on this particular time? Well, it's a, it's a simple uh, truth. Pentecost was one of those gathering festivals. In other words, people came from everywhere back into Jerusalem for this celebration. It was street fair time, okay? They're coming back for the elephant ears. That's why I go. They're coming back into Jerusalem from everywhere. And remember, this is a Roman occupation, and so by this time in history, uh, they're scattered by language, they're scattered by uh, geography, but they're still Jews. And so they come back for the celebration of Pentecost 50 days after Passover, which just happens to be 50 days after the crucifixion. And it's there that God pours out his Holy Spirit. Now, here's what happened. You know the story. When the Holy Spirit came on them, many people came to relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, get the picture. You've got people from all over, many different languages, many different geographical areas, all hearing the message of salvation, thousands receiving that message of salvation. Then what happens? They'll go home. But now what do they go home with? The truth. Is God smart? Is he times, does he time things well? So you have this picture in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's very, very significant of what God is doing in their lives at this point. Look at verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. By the way, this is not the first we have seen the Holy Spirit. I want to be very clear here. This is not like the, the Holy Spirit just happened at this moment of Pentecost. He is visible from the moment of creation. The Bible tells us that the, the Spirit in Genesis 1, the Spirit uh, was hovering over the, the yet-to-be-created earth. And so the Holy Spirit was, was working all through the Old Testament, we see them in many, many different ways. Pentecost was a, that, that opportunity where he was poured out to the church. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. In the Old Testament, we see his divine presence as it rested on Israel as a corporate entity and its leaders. You remember David when he sinned with Bathsheba and, and he was challenged by the prophet and, and he repented. He said, uh, God, I beg you, don't take your spirit from me. David understood that the presence of God's Holy Spirit. So he's pre-existent, he's eternal, as Jesus the Son and God the Father are. This outpouring of the Spirit is a new manifestation. It's a new opportunity that God is giving to his church. 
He's making himself available to empower believers individually. He's coming to live within the believer to work in his life in a continual way. He is fulfilling the promise that uh, Jesus made in Acts 1.8. His appearance is marked by the sound of a violent wind. Now this again wasn't random. Both the Hebrew in the Old Testament and the Greek in the New Testament, both of those, the words for spirit, is also the word for wind or breath. So this idea of, of God breathing the Holy Spirit into the church, the image of God blowing his breath of life into the church. We have a similar picture in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 37, the prophet Ezekiel is, is shown this vision. He's taken to a valley, and in that valley are, are a bunch of dry bones. He was discouraged. He was uh, thinking that, that there was no uh, presence of God that was helping him. And, and God took him to this valley in, his, in this vision. And there was a, a whole valley full of dead, dried up human bones. And God instructed him at that time uh, to command the wind to blow over the bones and to bring them to life. And Ezekiel did, and this wind blew through the valley, and, and these bones took on life, and they took on flesh, and, and in that process, a large army was raised up. And that's the picture. God gave Ezekiel that vision to show him the power of God's Holy Spirit in equipping us and empowering us. The Apostle John defines it, it this way. When he's discussing what it means to be born again in, in chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, he said, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit's role in the lives of, of those who are coming into relationship with Jesus by faith. He overwhelms us with the wind of his presence. It's that picture so, uh, of something so forceful and so powerful that it can blow away those dry bones of sin. We talk about this often, but I can't ever tire of it. It's, it's God telling us that we become a new creation. That's the work of God's Holy Spirit. See, I can take those dry bones that, uh, of sin in my life and I can maybe put them in a closet and hide them for a time or, or maybe polish them up and, and try to hang on to it, but they're still dead. They're still useless. It's only through the power of God's Holy Spirit that life comes into a person. And that life is eternal as the wind blows. Nothing I can do in my own effort could create this. And so we go on to learn that the power of the Holy Spirit reveals God's presence and his purification of believers. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Here's where the Spirit is showing his desire to empower each believer individually. It's at Pentecost where God gives us the promise that every one of us, when we come into faith in Jesus Christ, that we receive God's Holy Spirit living in us. And he does it represented by fire. The picture, when, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on, on this crowd, 
there was a, a, a vision of, and, and on the disciples specifically, there's a vision of this fire coming down and then the fire separated into individual fires over the heads of each one. That was the, the, the symbolism God used to show that the personal nature of the presence of God's Holy Spirit in the, the church. The Spirit representing himself as fire is very significant. In, in Scripture, there are two primary representations of God uh, that he uses fire. One is his presence. Do you remember, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, when, when, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 3, when um, Moses was called to, to deliver the children of Israel, there was a burning bush. There was a, the fire in this bush. And God said, in this uh, moment, you need to learn that I am. That fire talked of his eternalness. I am. I'm here. I've always been here. I always will be here. As the children of Israel were wandering in the desert, God gave them peace and reassurance and leadership by a pillar of fire that they could follow. But not only does God use fire as a representation of his presence, he also uses it as a representation of purification. That fire that purifies. Man throughout time has understood the purifying power of fire. Gold is refined by heating it until it's all burned up but the purity of the precious metal. And this is a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. As we look at the opportunity that God has provided for us to be all that he wants us to be. As we look at the opportunity God has provided for us, whatever role we serve in the body of Christ, we have that call, that privilege, that opportunity to make a difference in the lives of individuals through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And sometimes that task can seem overwhelming. This is until we put into effect, we turn on the switch, if you will, of God's Holy Spirit. We're not out there alone. He is constantly providing the guidance and instruction. Like that pillar of fire, God is constantly in front of us. He's given us his, his presence, his word to understand who he is. And then he's also working in that process of purification through his Holy Spirit. When I come into relationship with Christ, I am a new creation. My sin is buried in the deepest sea. It's separated from me as far as the east is from the west. That's the purification of God. But he doesn't stop there. Because my life doesn't always reflect the purity that he's given to me. There are times when he has to, to turn up the heat just a little bit, if you will. To burn away those things. I don't necessarily like those times. But they're so important, they're so valuable. Because God will turn up the heat just a little bit in reminding us that, that there are things in our life that, that need to be burned away. That's called the conviction of his Holy Spirit. That's the process of sanctification. That burning away of those things that God wants out of our life. When the Holy Spirit came, he came as a wind that breath being breathing life into us. He came as fire. That purification, that, that indication of his presence. But also, the power of the Holy Spirit makes the message of salvation clear. Look at verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the wind and the fire were representations of what God was doing. 
This third aspect of what is taking place here is the outpouring of that empowerment to do what he's called them to do. Let me explain that. The role of the Spirit here is to help make the message clear. What was happening here is quite simple. The disciples proclaimed the message of salvation as well as they could. And then the Holy Spirit took that message and interpreted it to the ears of the hearers. This is clarified for us in chapter 2 of Acts, verse 7 and 8. Look at those verses with me. Utterly amazed, they being the people that were hearing, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Isn't that beautiful? Remember, these are people coming from all different languages, all different geographies. And they came to one place, and they're gathered together by this huge wind and these, these tongues of fire, and there's lots of excitement. And all of a sudden, these people get up and start speaking, but they can understand them in their own language. That was the opportunity that God said, I'm going to give this power, this ability, for you to perform that service that I've called you to perform, to do that ministry. Now, I don't know what that'll look like in your life. I don't know at all. I've told you before that, that I went to Bible college to, to become a pastor. I, that was my goal. The one problem I had is I hated talking to people. I'm shy. I hated talking to people. I about died the first time I had to give a speech. My wife is, you're going to be okay. I've gotten over that a little bit. That's just the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's just the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's like the tongues. That's like all of the other things that God does. That's the equipping. But here's the other part of that. I love this. The other part of that is I now have this example of how God can take fumbling, unintelligible words and send them to the ears of people in a way he wants them to hear. These men were speaking, but the people were hearing in their own language. What does that say to us? That I can, I can take my experiences and I can take my understanding of who God is and, and as imperfect as it is, I can share that with somebody and God takes those words and between my mouth and their ears, he fixes them. And he delivers the message that their heart needs to hear. That's his promise. If I turn on the switch of his Holy Spirit. If I allow his Spirit to work through me. Through the power of the Spirit in, the, in my life, I can proclaim the most important message in the entire universe. My, from my lips, people can understand that they can be restored to a perfect relationship with their Creator. That their sin can be forgiven. That they, they can be made into a new, reborn creation that is worthy of eternity in heaven. That's a huge responsibility. That's a huge challenge. So how do we do it? We simply step out and tell people what we know. We simply turn on that power of God's Holy Spirit and allow him to work through us. We're just a conduit. We just let that flow through us. And God worries about the results. What an unbelievable gift God provides. When Jesus told his disciples about uh, his death and resurrection, 
and that he would be leaving this earth. He made this statement in, in John chapter 16. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. What a, what a situation. Can you imagine the disciples? They've been living and, and breathing and eating and spending every moment listening to this man Jesus. He was their mentor. He was the, the, the one uh, for whom they wanted to follow. And now he says, I'm leaving, but it's a good thing. And I can imagine their thought, how could it not be good for God himself, God with us, to stay with us? But what is he saying? He's saying, I need to go so that I can send the Holy Spirit, who is not just God with you, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who is God in you. Wow. No longer is it just you watching what God can do through his son Jesus as you follow him around Galilee. Now it's you with the power of God in you. And Jesus said, you're going to do far greater things than even I. Why? Because they multiplied. He was one man. Through the power of the Spirit, we have that promise a gift we receive when by faith we accept the offer of salvation from Jesus. It's what it means to become a new creation. Question for you this morning. Is your power switch on? Is your power switch on? If you are a Christ follower, if you have by faith recognized your sin and confessed that sin and asked Jesus to forgive that sin and, and invite God to live in your life and control you, all you have to do is say yes. God, I want that power. I want that authority. And then use it. It's an opportunity. It's a privilege that he gives to each one. Will you stand with me? Father, thank you for giving my voice strength. But more importantly, Father, thank you for your word and the truth of your word. Father, thank you for that gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the, the comfort and the peace and the joy and all of those, those things that you provide through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. And thank you, Father, for those opportunities that we have to, to use that authority and that power. And I just pray for each one of my brothers and sisters today that as we go from this place and we, we march into situations, maybe some that we already know about, plans that we have with family or with friends or, or situations that, that uh, we've scheduled to, to share with somebody. But Lord, maybe those that we're not even aware yet. Father, situations that we have not even encountered yet that you're going to put in our path at that right moment. I pray that, uh, Father, your Holy Spirit would just be evident. I pray that we would not stifle or, or lock down what you want to accomplish by our silence. That we would not shut down the, the power of the Spirit by not being willing to just try. Lord, give us that grace, I pray. Send us from this place excited ready to, to serve you, ready to allow your spirit to work through us. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.